Purgaporia. podcast. My name is Vivian Gabor, and guess what? We're trying something new today. I thought I would take a moment before I introduce the guest to just catch up with all of you and see if this new format is maybe something we want to do. Oh my goodness, y'all. It snowed in New York. It's crazy outside. I had to get snow boots for the first time in years. I had to stop wearing flip-flops. I know I'm the worst person ever when it comes to footwear. I hate... Is anyone else like this? I hate wearing shoes. And I I don't like socks at all. Like, at all. So, most of the year I wear flip-flops. When I lived in Montana, it would be negative 20 degrees outside and I'd still wear flip-flops. There's something wrong with me. But I finally had to get a pair of snow boots because the snow was crazy and intense the last couple of days. Um, but... It's the holiday season. Hanukkah just ended. Uh, It was great. I finally, for the first time in a very long while, since my Nana passed away, got to light the Hanukkah candles with my roommate. We made a huge meal. Uh, My roommate made a brisket. I made latkes. It was, oh, it was the best thing ever, and I just wanted it to never end. Um... And now we're coming up on Christmas, so there's going to be a couple of special Christmas episodes later on uh, this week, so be on the lookout for that. We have a special coming out on Christmas Eve, and then probably something special happening on Christmas Day as well. You never know. It's yeah, but anything could happen. Um, I also wanted to take this moment to talk about the fact that our sister podcast, Y2G Reruns, Uh, finished its first season. It was so great. We finished Twin Peaks through the original release. Um, But we are also recording a season of The Return. So if you'd like to listen to Twin Peaks, The Return, and what Nancy Nogood, my co-host, and I have to say about that, you're going to have to uh, subscribe to our Patreon that's patreon.com slash y2gayreruns.pod um, because that that season, the off season, is only going to be available on Patreon. So if you're not part of our Patreon, I'm sorry, you're not going to get it. Um, also, the Patreon will be privy to the information about season two of Y2Gay Reruns and uh, what the subject matter of that's going to be. So be on the lookout for that. Um, I also have some YouTube content coming out if you're not a fan of my YouTube or (laughs) a fan. (laughs) If you're not subscribed to my YouTube channel, uh, you can find it at the Gaborium. Um, but yeah, it's, it's almost Christmas. It's a, it's a weird time of year for a lot of us. I know it is because, uh, normally at this time we'd be meeting with our families. It's Christmas week as I'm recording this, so we'd be meeting with our families. We'd be traveling home. We'd be maybe setting up the last-minute Christmas tree, doing last-minute shopping. 
I would normally be working in retail or in coffee, so the lines would be out the door. But it's not right now. It's a it's a pandemic, and you better not be traveling for unnecessary reasons right now because we are trying to kick this thing in the butt because we want it to end. Please, please make it end. <laughs> I really want it to end, guys. Um, so please stay home if at all possible. Zoom call with your families for Christmas. That's what we're going to do. Um, and we're just going to have a fun little apartment Christmas we're going to decorate. We might get into drag and do some fun stuff, so be on the lookout for that. might be on twitch.tv slash thegaborium um, <laughs> on Christmas Day just for the fun of it. Um, but yeah, do anything you can right now to to lift your spirits. I've been cleaning a lot more recently because goodness knows, A, my apartment needs it, and B, I just... It's one of my stress relievers. I just need to keep the apartment clean. Um, it's it's so much better when you have space to think and space to create. Um, and you have space to create with people that you love and um, have people around you who are also creative. Uh, like I got, I'm very lucky in that one of my roommates is a drag queen and the other roommate isn't a visual artist, a painter. So there's a lot of creativity in this apartment and we are making the most of everything we have right now. Um, but anyway, so moving on to the actual interview part of this podcast, um, I, had the distinct pleasure to sit down with an internationally famous opera singer today. If you haven't heard of Lucia Lucas, she performs internationally. She currently resides in Germany and is a trans opera singer who is singing all over the world constantly, has an incredible voice. I will make sure there are some links to her performances uh, in the description box so that you can look those up. We'll also post some stuff about her on our Instagram. So be so subscribe to that and check that out <laughs> at yeah, but pod on Instagram. We're just going to go right into it. It was a really fascinating conversation. And this is a person that I hope I get to talk to over and over again, because Lucia is so incredibly intelligent and talented. And uh, I hope you enjoy this conversation. Well, welcome. I'm very excited um, to be talking to my guest today. Today, we're sitting down um, with the incredible, the groundbreaking Lucia Lucas. Hello. <laughs> Hi. I'm just a person. I'm just a person. It's, it's not a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> um, I reached out to you originally... Um, both because I'm an opera singer, but also because um, as a queer person with a queer podcast, I like uh, specifically having guests on who are part of the queer experience, are um, forwarding the world and pushing the world to think in new ways and and um, find those ways in which they can be challenged to grow. Um, and I thought it would be fun to to sit down and have a conversation with you both about 
queer topics, but also about opera because I haven't gotten to talk about opera since grad school and it um, is a subject that is near and dear to my heart. <laughs> sure, we can talk about whatever and we can jump back and forth and, you know, keep keep both sides of your audience interested. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I know you've talked about this a lot, but if you wouldn't mind um, just kind of updating everyone on how you got into opera um, where you went to school, those sorts of things. Sure. Um, I went to school in California. I grew up in California in Sacramento. And I actually did my undergrad at CSU Sacramento. Oh, cool. So, yeah. So I did a, a French horn and voice degree. Um, and then in 2005, I went to Chicago. And I sort of left my horn behind and just focused on voice. And uh, I did my master's at Chicago College of Performing Arts at Roosevelt University. And then I ended up doing a two-year artist diploma program, which okay. was in combination with Chicago Opera Theater. And so um, it was a degree program, but it was more performance-based. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that, I went to Germany in 2009. And I've been there ever since. It's hard to it's hard to come back to the U.S. after traveling. <laughs> I... Yeah, it's you know the 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 most immediate experience that I can say is that when I land in Frankfurt, which is usually where I fly to, it's just like the anxiety of everyone is lower. Mm. Um, the the pulse just drops you know 10 or 20 beats per minute <laughs> of 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 everything um i when i've gone to the u.s in the last few years i mean granted you i'm i'm usually going to new york city and everything is super mm -hmm. up upbeat there yeah um but i think right now um basically since the financial crisis um i think that everything's a little difficult right now um, for the average person and when I come to Germany I feel like the the sort of base quality of life is really good here even if you're poor yeah so I'm basically poor I'm an artist <laughs> and you know I, I get to do opera which is fantastic yeah um, but but just you know, bread and milk and cheese and all the super basic things in life mm -hmm. are cheaper here. But the quality of them is generally higher. Like I can go, I can go get salads at the grocery store that are not like specialty things. But the last time that I was at the US, I went into Whole Foods. And I was just thinking, you know, I can get regular produce that's like way better the, at the corner grocery store um, oh, yeah. for way less. So I, I don't know. I, I think it's, it's difficult right now there. I, I hope things change. Yeah, but... me too. <laughs> yeah. I spent half of last year in the UK. So I, I understand the, it's, 
it's crazy that like in London, you can just walk down to Sainsbury's down the street and yep. buy a five pound meal deal that would cost good 15 to 20 bucks here in the US. Yeah, the, the, the prices seem to be a little a little skewed right now. Um, Germans, when I when I first got there, you know, like 2009, 2010, Germans would say, oh, yeah, you know, I want to retire in the US. And I said, well, you know, you got to be careful because the the basic quality of life is a little bit different. So whereas you may need to make 30,000 there, you probably need to make like 100,000 in the US to have the same quality of life. Yeah. Ugh. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I, this is off on a downer. No, this is the reality of life right now. <laughs> Um, I was going to say really fast, just because I think it's been a couple of years on my podcast since I've, I've given my credentials and it might be helpful for the conversation as well for you to kind of know where I'm coming from. Um, I don't have any professional sure. opera singing credentials, um, but I have both my bachelor's of music uh, from Whitworth University in Washington State, and then my master's of music and opera performance from the University of Montana. Um, and then at that point, I was told by my my advisors and my teachers that it was time for me to start doing young artist programs and it was time for me to start going that route. Um, and if not, I needed to get my doctorate right away. Um, and I tried to go the doctorate route, didn't work. And the young artist route, I uh, did not have the money for or the, <laughs> the drive at the time. Um, so that's when it kind of dropped off for me. And um, But I'm still an avid consumer of of music and opera and the sort um, yeah it's not that it's not possible if you don't have the money it's just your drive needs to be through the roof yeah <laughs> because no really because 10 years later i'm still living like a like a college student mm -hmm. and i've been doing this full time <laughs> for 10 years but of course i get to do it full time you know yeah um but you know i'm i'm watching all my friends have have cars and families and dogs and whatever um and you know my wife and i were were just gathering roles mm -hmm. and it i don't know the the pandemic is super weird because it makes you rethink everything it and really does yeah no no matter what it is but it's just like in order to to go to germany you know it's like how many and, and like move there and live there not just like visit there or go there for a couple months for a gig or something like we live here and mm -hmm. it's expensive to go home and so how many how many birthdays how many new years how yeah. many births how many deaths do you miss until you go this is this is too much you know yeah absolutely and, uh, it it's i think people don't people don't talk about the the emotional cost of of doing this career full-time mm -hmm. because that's probably the the heftiest cost yeah i i feel like to the outside world opera looks like um renee fleming and bryn turville and all of these singers who are constantly traveling and making so much money and and on screens everywhere and things like that that it it looks so glamorous and it can be glamorous at times but it is also a lot of um behind the scenes 
not only just hard work and um, analyzing scores and sitting by yourself for long periods of time, but it's a lot of time away from family and a lot of time not able to participate in um, basic world events and family events and things. Yeah. Um, so it's it's tricky. Yeah. <laughs> so with all of that in mind, why why opera? Why did you choose to go into opera? Which by by all um, by by current standards isn't necessarily a very um, exciting um, or or interesting prospect to a lot of younger people who um, maybe haven't been exposed to the art form. Yeah, opera's a weird, opera's a weird art form. Um, you know, people have been saying that opera is dying since, since it began 400 years ago. Um, it's, it's a super niche, uh, performing art and it's, I, I don't know. I, I got hooked on it and people get hooked on it. And, and I think opera is all about finding the core emotion of, of a piece of music, of a section, and really exploiting that dramatically. And, you know, it's similar to musical theater. It's similar to, uh, to any sort of live stage. Like, that, it, it's, it's just a live stage uh that happens to have full full-bodied um sound mm -hmm. attached to it um yeah it, it just happens to be my medium you know i i love film i love i love straight theater i love musical theater i i love all aspects of performing um but opera just sort of it accidentally fell into place I, I didn't go to school to be an opera singer, but I I found myself there going, wow, this is this is the place for me. Yeah, I, I very similarly, when I started college, I actually got into college on a cello scholarship. And while I mm -hmm. was there, they were like, you're a good singer, you should be in choir. And then I got into choir and then they were like, you need to take voice lessons. I was like, OK, I'll take voice lessons. And then all of a sudden I was a voice major. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's basically what happened with me too i started as a horn <laughs> as a horn major and i was i was in a chamber choir the first semester that mm -hmm. i was in school um but it wasn't a major for me or anything like that mm -hmm. and then i said oh yeah i have some friends and they're in opera and i went to the the opera director and i said hey you know um i'm curious about this opera thing and it's like oh, i i don't have i don't have time to talk right now <laughs> okay. sure um and then two weeks later um, I said, no, 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 I'm really interested in this opera stuff. Like, and he's like, all right, I have five minutes. And so we went up to his, up to his studio and I sang like a phrase and he said, have you ever thought about studying privately? And <laughs> that's, and he took me on as a, as a voice student. And he was also the opera director, mm. um, for the school. So I, I got lots of opportunities through mm -hmm. that. And then when I went off to grad school, I already had, I already had roles on my resume, like mm. with orchestra and everything. So I was I was wow. very lucky in that respect that that CSU Sacramento had a an opera program 
that was performing full operas. Yeah, I I definitely wish I had had that when I was an undergrad. I uh, it was all in studio, and it, honestly, my teacher told me you're not allowed to sing any arias right now because anything you'll learn right now, you'll just learn it with those bad habits. And so I got a very late uh. start in all of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I hear that from, from so many teachers or, oh, you shouldn't sing that. Like, you know, people who are older sing that. Oh, you shouldn't sing that. You shouldn't sing that. But the reality is, is, you know, you, you, you get older and older and older. And then at some point they say you're too old. But there's no point yeah. where they say, oh, yes, this is perfect. <laughs> yeah. It's either, too, it's either too soon or too late. And you should do everything too soon. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, and actually, that leads me to one of my questions, um, because you do sing professionally as a baritone, um, which is I so do. exciting. Uh, what <laughs> what kind of brought you to um, singing roles where you present as male on stage? Um, and how do you kind of rectify that with your identity? Ah, it's a bad habit. I learned it <laughs> Fuck, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I trained as a baritone. And so my entire adult life, I've been singing baritone. And so there, you know, there is an opportunity to retrain my voice. I couldn't mm -hmm. sing as a contralto. Um, but the reality of it is, is okay, so I'm a full-time, full-time opera singer right now. I've got work, uh, well, hopefully um i have work like two three years out from yeah. right now so if i wanted to become a contralto um surely it's not going to take me 20 years to be able to sing contralto as well as i sing baritone with that amount of experience mm -hmm. but how long realistically would it take me to retrain you know would it, yeah. would it take five years yeah, I probably could do it in five years. Could I do it in two? Maybe. Um, but the thing is, is in two, three years, I have baritone projects. Yeah. So do I just like, do I just like forget all the work that I have? And then how long do I have to take off? Well, I pay for my rent with my voice, you know, how I can't just like give it up. Yeah. I can't just give it up. How am I going to make money? Am I, am I going to like go do some other profession so that I can train to be a contralto? But the whole thing is the only reason I, why I would do that is if the, if the anxiety or dysphoria would get to me enough. Mm -hmm. And before I came out, there was, there was this trans woman who was talking about uh, her being a blacksmith. And when she came out, um, she said she stopped, she stopped doing, uh, metalworking because she thought that it was men's work or masculine work and, and she didn't want to do that. Um, but it took her three or four years and then she realized, you know what, this is separate from me, my, my profession mm -hmm. or my hobbies or whatever, my interests do not have to be a reflection on my identity. Mm -hmm. and so I already sort of had that in in mind that this does not define me I can mm -hmm. sing baritone and I can be myself off stage 
And so, you know, just glue a beard on me and, you know, draw some lines on my face and I'll go <laughs> sing whatever. Yeah. It's an interesting, it's an interesting way to, to, to live this career because there are so many people who sort of fit their identities into whatever mm-hmm. voice part they're singing and what those characters normally do. But I have a, I have a friend who's a high coloratura soprano and you know, that's usually something that's really, really girly, but she's butch. And so <laughs> she talks about, well, she talks about like really, she's cis, but she really butches it up mm-hmm. or she, she really fems it up for her auditions, but that's hmm. not really her. Yeah. And it's good that she's recognized that she does not have to be the person who people think she should be on stage. Yeah. But I've had auditions where they say, oh, well, um, can you wear like a men's jacket and like men's like shoes and pants? And it's like, you think I have in my closet? <laughs> <laughs> but it, but actually this, this one particular audition where I was asked that, I just, I thought like, okay, well, if I get the gig, then what is the rehearsal process going to be like? Am I going to yeah. be it, like, isn't that sort of setting me up in a bad position? But at some point, um, so my agent said, just sit with it, think about it. Mm-hmm. And so at some point over the next day, I said, you know what? I'm going to take this as a challenge because mm-hmm. this is a part that I really, really want. This is a part that will be very important for my career. And just because they're questioning whether I can do it, there's a chance that no matter what I do, they're not going to pick me anyway. Yeah. I said, you know what? But I'm going to take this as a challenge. I'm going to take this as a challenge. And I'm going to make sure that it's on them to say no, that it's not on me. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to give them the satisfaction of just giving up. Yeah. So I got a whole ensemble. Um, I got... Um, I have this kit where I can make uh, a beard by gluing it on, not like mm-hmm. not like a a one piece thing, but like individual mm-hmm. hairs. Wow. And so I just went like way <laughs> off the deep end, like super full realistic. drag. <laughs> yeah, and super realistic. When I was at the audition, people didn't know who who I was. Wow. And, um, and I did the audition and I got the part. Wow. And, you know, I was going to go in there and I was going to go sing really good. And this thing, this question mark for them, I just wanted to not satisfy it, but blow it away. Mm-hmm. Just go, you know what? It, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter at all. And I, I did the gig and everybody was super nice. It was the best, best experience that I ever had. And I don't know, I don't know whose special request that was, but, um, you know, I, I just sort of went and ran with it and said, you know what, if this is a test, then you're failing it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's interesting too. Opera, opera has such a, and theater in general, I suppose, has such a history of 
gender nonconformity in terms of sure in theater it was because women weren't allowed to be on stage so men would play female roles but then in opera you also have um the tradition of mezzos playing the roles of boys like the lead of de rosencavalier is a mezzo even though the character is male um and so it's it seems so strange that an art form that has made made or cut its teeth as it were on um gender bending and and allowing gender expression to be something other than what we know of in the outside world would then come around to the other side and be like okay but can you conform <laughs> well yeah here's the thing though is is people are used to pants roles is what the the, the mezzo is playing boys basically they're 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 used to that mm -hmm. because even people who are 80 90 years old who've been watching opera their entire lives that's been in opera that entire time but yeah once you have somebody um who is trans basically doing anything on the stage um that's not that hasn't always been part of it in their brain mm. and so now we're talking about stuff that is off the stage and if you put it to them that way then sometimes they're okay with that um i had a weird run-in with an audience member what, what i'm saying is that that audience members and sometimes even administration for opera can be conservative mm. and sometimes administration people who are part of the LGBT community can be conservative on behalf of their mm -hmm. their public or what they think their their public wants to see, so that can be a hurdle. Mm -hmm. um, but when when I was in um, Dublin, I was doing uh, Sharpless and Madame Butterfly, and Wonderful. this guy came up to me afterward, and he huge 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 guy um like i don't know seven feet something God. like huge dude giant hands like think i don't know some superhero rock sculpture dude and you know he gave me this handshake and it was a little little too hard <laughs> it's just like you know you know the type Mm -hmm. And he's like, yeah, I was ready. I was really ready not to like your, your performance. <laughs> Such a helpful critique. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, but it was pretty good. It's like, you know what? That's okay. Yeah. That is okay. If, if through my art, I can overcome your whatever preconceptions or frustrations with, with me and my identity, then that's that's great, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, if you if you have a specialist in a in a field, um, like if there's an open heart surgeon, you know, and you know they're they're a punk rocker or something like that, you know, and you see them outside, you know, maybe that would be concerning. But like if they do their job and they're the best in the world, like who cares? Mm -hmm. Who cares? In yeah. fact, I, I had a uh, I had an eye doctor um, during I I had a like laser type surgery um, 
and I saw her out on the street before she went in and got into her scrubs, and she was like a punk rocker. I love that. <laughs> <It was> like... <laughs> and yeah, she was amazing, amazing doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, came to work and like ripped up, like mm-hmm. I don't know, somewhere between punk rocker and grunge or something like that, some sort of eighties, nineties. <laughs> Ripped up jeans, thrash t-shirt, yeah. But the the, the thing is, is if you were the best in your field, Mm -hmm. then your identity doesn't really matter if you're respected for something above your identity. Yeah. And especially, especially in opera where it is such a, um, it, it, I don't know where I was going with that. It's, it's such kind of a, it's a staid medium. It's a medium that people think they know what to expect. They expect to see the exact same thing every time to the point where uh, I don't, it was, had to be over a decade ago. Now the Met did a production of, um, of Tosca and they left out the part where she positions um, Scarpia's arms out with the candlesticks next to his head um, and the audience booed and left the theater like we're it's it's such a tradition steeped art form more so than any others it's I don't it's it's crazy <laughs> that's one reason why I stepped away is it's just it's a lot to it's a lot to handle well it's it's different in Europe um, I think mm-hmm. there's more there's more risks being taken, um, but yeah, there there's so much tradition to it, and also there was a lot of um, golden age recordings, and then in I don't know between the seventies and nineties there was lots of videos of opera that were made, and super fans will just get that in their head, mm-hmm. and then they'll go to the show hoping to see and hear their favorite recording but on stage yeah and and that's not that's not what it should be mm-hmm. you know you should be you should be seeing the, the the creativeness of all the performers and the director who put it together and not simply i mean we we have revivals of course we have revivals and that's wonderful mm-hmm. um but it's a it should be about discovering new moments and discovering uh what each person does with it yeah absolutely um a little bit of a turn here um i was wondering um if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about um your coming out process and um where that fit into your career because you already had a career by the time um you came out and just a little bit a little bit in that vein sure um so i went to germany in in 2009 actually in 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 my life and i think in everybody's life we have these moments where we we think back on our past and think toward the future 
about what's going to happen next. Like when I graduated from high school, when I graduated from college mm-hmm. um, and went to Chicago, and then um, when I went to Germany, all of these moments, we sort of take stock of all the, the things that have happened to us before and think about what happens next or things that we're leaving. Um, sometimes in like, if you're moving, literally leaving stuff or donating things or putting stuff in storage or whatever, you're, you're, you're starting anew with a, a smaller amount of baggage, mm-hmm. literally or figuratively. Yeah. And, and so it's at this moment where it's easier to make life choices or life changes and so at every single one of these big moments it was like do i need this do like how 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 big does my my anxiety um and my dysphoria play in my life at this moment and before i went to college it was like okay well maybe I'll lose my family and I'll lose my, my whole support system. And then going to Chicago was like, well, it couldn't, I couldn't possibly have that along with trying to do a master's in Chicago. Like I'm trying to focus on on opera here. So I'm, I'm going to focus on that. And then going to Germany, it's like, Oh, well, I'm moving all the way to the other side of the world for this. Like I have to give that a shot. Right. Mm-hmm. And I guess maybe part of me was was hoping for my career to be like one of these like uh, shooting star things, and I have like five years, and it's big, and then I just go away, and then I transition and have my own life, you know. Mm-hmm. And so the 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 weird thing that happened was that I was in Germany uh, for for about four years. And I was just thinking, okay, well, my, my career is not shooting off, but it's also not going away. Like I, I had a, basically a, a state employee job singing up for the German government. Amazing. And yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's great. And, and you just get a paycheck every month and, you know, but you're an artist and it's the dream. It's wonderful. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, I, I wish, I wish that. I wish that this could happen in in other places and not just in Germany, Austria, and Switzerland, but those are the only places where it actually happens. Sometimes you have orchestras or choruses or something like that 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 have a salary position. But in general, it doesn't really exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody who is a solo singer outside of this this German speaking opera region, they are freelance. There might be year-long young artist programs or something like that, but it's not really well paid. Um, there, I mean, there's maybe there's maybe like five of them that are paid, but even that, you know, you're only supposed to be there for two max three years. Yeah, and then you're supposed to go have your career. Um, but as we see right now, particularly in this moment, anybody who's a freelance artist is just screwed. Mm-hmm. And the sort of financial risks that we take on ourselves uh, to, you know, to buy our own hotels and our own flights and, mm-hmm. and our own 
everything, um, we're, we're really having a difficult time right now because of that. And it's like, okay, well, at what point do I get out of this? Mm-hmm. I had friends who were singing at all the big houses and, you know, going on like month two, it was like, okay, this is not going to be done anytime soon. I need to go get a job. Mm-hmm. I'm very thankful that, that my wife has um, a salaried position like I used to have. And so she can pay for our rent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm lucky enough to be, um, I'm about to start rehearsing uh, a new show. That's why I'm here and not in my, my normal apartment. Um, but the but we're not allowed to play yet officially, mm-hmm. um, at least until I think 2021. Wow. Um, we'll see what happens with January. Um, my show is supposed to open at the end of January, and but I don't know. Mm-hmm. Luckily, we're we are allowed to rehearse. Um, you know, socially distance with masks mm-hmm. and a whole bunch of rules and stuff. But yeah. but we can at least rehearse in the case that we're allowed to open. Um, but the the opera the opera world it's 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 hard right now because the the profit margins um, are so thin on the opera, mm-hmm. and in Germany you already have these salaried employees. So if you say okay, well, we're going to do shows at twenty or twenty five percent capacity, it's still more money than they would have made because they have all these people that are employed at the opera house anyway. Yeah, but. In the US or the UK or anywhere else, they go, okay, well, these are freelance artists. So, you know, we're going to postpone their contracts or even cancel the contracts. Um, and then that cost, like we're, we're, at least, we're not losing money on that. Mm-hmm. Because at 20, 20% or 25% or basically anything less than probably 70 or 80 percent capacity they're going to be losing money yeah i'm sure the numbers are different for all the houses but (laughs) yeah but basically the with the german stuff the reason why performances are still happening is because they don't have to make money Mm, that's fair i mean that art they've decided that art is worth making art yeah and even even if it's at a loss they still want art as part of the culture which is something that i keep screaming into the wind (laughs) it needs to be out there it's necessary there there are some interesting ideas that could work even in the u.s um i wish i wish andrew yang would have gotten a little bit more traction Mm. um because if you have uh if you have your base living paid for it really frees you up um for other opportunities yeah like being an artist but i mean even just the freelance life you know um whether you do you're doing podcasts or uber or whatever um it gives you a little bit more flexibility to do that yeah um and yeah i mean there's there's a couple different things you, you basically healthcare and like a universal basic income are mm-hmm. kind of linked in that sort of way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it could really free up a lot of artists to make really cool stuff because um, 
in in a pandemic like this the the artists that survive are the ones that are not paying that like they they don't need their art to pay the bills yeah those are the people who who will survive in this yeah it's it's a weird it's a weird situation that we found ourselves in and it um it's it's hard because especially in the u.s as artists even without a pandemic it's difficult to to make a living um because it's a a, 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 society that word didn't want to come out of my mouth we're in (laughs) we're in a society that um puts a premium on constantly working and creating a high volume of output whereas the arts are something that take a long time to cultivate and you're only putting out certain number of pieces a year no matter what your medium is um and so to the outside well, world it doesn't high, look it's not high output Let's yeah call it what it is it's it's whether you're turning a profit yeah exactly i used to sell steinways and wow. like it wasn't about <laughs> volume at all like yeah. I, could sell, I could sell four pianos in a year if they were the right pianos like that was a good year <laughs> So yeah, it's if you say that art is worth art, then you make art happen somehow. Mm-hmm. But if you say that art needs to make money, well, then the type of art that you're making, at least as an organization, will change. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to decide what you want. Yeah, and it's right now it's it's a hard choice to make because we're we're literally choosing between surviving and creating <laughs> yeah well for even before the pandemic though mm-hmm. um i had some some young uh trans artists contact me and they would say you know i'm i i want i want to like do my major in in music and do opera um and usually i say you know do you have a stable financial system like will your will your parents help you Mm -hmm. and if the answer to that is well no i'm not really on great terms with them then i'll usually say is there something else that you enjoy doing as like do you enjoy computers Mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah you know i do some coding on the side and i said look if you go off and you be a computer programmer you can afford your life if you have transition related expenses you can afford those and you also can make your own art Mm -hmm. and something that we've seen through the pandemic is creative individuals um even if they're used to performing in big teams mm-hmm. can create their own art yeah a lot of us have supercomputers basically in our phones and you know you can make art directly on that my my wife and i we used some old phones and made a 20 minute movie um 20 minute opera movie and put that online like in the first month month and a half the pandemic 
and it's so incredibly um, good. <laughs> I found oh, you've it. Seen it. I've seen it. It's very, very good. <laughs> um, just gonna well, plug you know, that. I... It's called Coffee, Gin, and Murder. Go watch it. It's yeah. oh, it's so good. <laughs> I was sitting here giggling to myself watching it. It was great. Yeah, and and if you're and if you enjoyed that, then you can also check out uh, Exotic V Baskin. And uh, that actually was commissioned by Carlo Arts Festival after they had seen our first movie, The Coffee Gin Amazing. Murder. And um, yeah, a, a composer wrote us, I don't know, about five minutes worth of music. And, and from, from the idea until the film festival was one month. And wow. so it was just, you know, turbo producing yeah <laughs> but that's that's the thing is is mm -hmm. you know i'm used to 60 people in the orchestra pit and you know 20 people on stage and maybe another 50 person core or something like that and then just tons of people so usually there's you know 100 to 200 people producing yeah. an opera and we just produced it um by ourselves with also with a pianist mm -hmm. and we did it socially distant uh we we disinfected our um our our portable recorder mm -hmm. and then gave it to the pianist uh and then he played in his part and then we put it into the computer and then we recorded over it and I, the whole thing was done safely and that, that was sort of our our concept for that is that and especially in that time it's like okay well can it exist on surfaces? Oh, I don't know. Okay, so we'll like disinfect it, then we'll put it in a thing, then we'll disinfect that, then we'll give it to him, then we'll disinfect it, and then we'll take it apart, and then we'll disinfect it again. Yeah. And um you can you can make art. You can make art and you don't you don't need this this big uh system of people behind you. And mm -hmm. actually what happened to me in grad school is that um I I wasn't cast in the opera, I think my second semester or something like that. Hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. And a bunch of friends and I, we got together and we produced our own opera. Um, hmm. This was in Chicago. So we produced a, our own opera uh, out in a church in Wrigleyville. And, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of people who came, but like that lived on our resume and that's mm -hmm. definitely helped me and that's definitely helped other people who were in that show yeah and um yeah we we did like three or four different projects and just like adding stuff just aggressively adding stuff to our resume that we created we created the opportunity mm -hmm. so it's a, it's a good you know, skill to have <laughs> yeah but but financial security, if you have that mm -hmm. and you go, okay, well, you know, I can afford to pay five grand or 10 grand or whatever and hire an orchestra and put a role on my resume. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have, if you have money, you can do a lot of different things. Yeah. So instead of beating your, your head against the wall, trying to get this piece of paper that says you can sing opera, you know. <laughs> Go get a piece of paper that you know will pay you a little bit more, and you can make your own opera. Mm -hmm. And the best voice teachers aren't always in schools. Yeah, absolutely. The 
something that I've learned over time is there are so many people who are great at what they do. There are so many people who are incredible teachers um, who either didn't have time to go on and get a doctorate because if you want to teach at a college, you have to have a doctorate anymore um, or um, just haven't had the, the time or the resources to, to build those, those huge names or get associated with big names, but they're some of the most incredible people that you could ever be around and ever learn from. Yeah, uh, sometimes sometimes conservatories will hire people who have had careers, mm-hmm. but um, but not that often. Yeah, and um, and the and even if they're offered these things, like it requires a lot of paperwork and a lot of these mm-hmm. personalities, these big operatic <laughs> personalities, they don't like paperwork. So yeah, <laughs> they don't really fit in that system. Hmm. Um. So kind of the last thing I wanted to talk about was just um, so you've been in the industry now for roughly a decade, correct? Is what you said? Yeah, I I started full time, basically 2009. Um, How how have you seen um, attitudes towards queer people in theater attitudes towards um, trans people in opera, there are a whole bunch of new names of trans singers in opera that are just starting to hit the news now. How have you seen those attitudes change and the the culture grow in that way? Well, I think there's always been queer people in opera um, since forever. Um, openly, not so much. Um, I think in the last... 10 or 20 years more and more people have come out and so that's good and that's helpful if if they can um as for trans singers when i came out um there weren't trans singers professionally Hmm. um there was a couple stories of some people who had studied in school but at that moment there were no performing uh professionals so when I came out, you know, I just, I, I just came out. I decided that I was going to come out because I needed to come out and that was more important than my career. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it worked, that I was able to be out and continue my career, I think was, it just, it just happened. It was sort of an accident mm-hmm. that it worked, but it did work and I sort of made it my goal to to do my best to show that it is possible mm-hmm. and i think for me you know some people say oh well you already had a career well yes if you're a trans person you should you should you should be happy about that because it was a great test case of will this work like I sing this good, and I still will sing this good after I come out. There's this little tiny personal thing that is being changed. Um, so do I, do I still get to have a career? I was definitely yeah. good enough before. Am I still good enough? And and I made it my my goal to be at least as good to to study really hard and to to keep coaching and have a teacher and record every single 
every single coaching, every single thing that I could to make sure that I was was not only staying as good as before, but getting better. Mm-hmm. And my voice is better now than before I came out. Mm-hmm. And it's because I work on it. I work really hard on it and I spend a lot, I reinvest all the money that I make mm-hmm. back into my voice to make sure that it's good. Yeah, I think that's something also that a lot of people don't don't think about is that the voice is an ever changing instrument. It's not like a a violin or an, or a harp or a piano or something that you can just buy and it will pretty much stay the same for its entire life. The the voice changes. It's a living instrument. Um and it's something that you have to yeah, you have to constantly be training it. I mean, I just sing musical theater stuff and I can tell the days when I've had coffee and days when I haven't. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, if you're, if you're like when I was in Chicago, uh, it was super drastic. The, the difference between being inside and outside and uh, like in the winter. So you have this super, super dry heat and you know, that, that doesn't always work so well for the voice. The voice needs, yeah. needs some humidity. And mm-hmm. yeah, d- day to day, and, and you have to take care of it. And I can really tell the difference um, if, if like I get up and I and I don't take a shower and then I just like start singing as opposed to when I take a steam shower and have plenty of caffeine and like it's a very different voice. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's 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 tricky. I, I, a living a living instrument um and you and you can't blame it on on like a bad instrument or something you know like no. if you have a cardboard <laughs> if you have a cardboard cello or something like that you'd be like oh i just wish i could have a nice cello then it'd be then it'd be great you know yeah um yeah with and and emotionally um it doesn't affect me so much anymore just because I don't know, but, but it affects a lot of singers. Like if their voice isn't, isn't doing well, then they're not doing well. Mm -hmm. It's like a personal, I don't know. It's like a personal insult to themselves. If (laughs) their voice isn't doing well and they're just like, oh, I just don't feel good. Why? My voice. Oh, okay. Well, sorry. (laughs) I definitely remember those days walking around in, in the uh, hallways of the music building. Oh, that tenor is having a bad day today. <laughs> and he comes out and he's just fuming the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah, that that voice type, it, it inspires. Uh... <laughs> Especially as baritones, we have a complicated, complicated history with tenors. <laughs> yeah. One thing that I was gonna say, sort of yes. a um, here, I'll I'll give you a segue. Uh, I was <laughs> I was listening to, I was listening to some previous episodes last night, and um, maybe it was with with Peaches mm. um, talking about individual personalities, and um, and how if you put something down on paper and you said okay well you know i'm going to do weird oversized barbie makeup and sing country you know and you go all right good luck good luck with that Mm -hmm. um and then it works Mm -hmm. and i feel like um if you're really good in your craft Mm -hmm. and 
people know you as you, then mm -hmm. all these other sort of labels don't matter. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like the the like the country musician or the whatever style makeup that just mm -hmm. sort of goes away, and it's like, no, that's Trixie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I it's it's something that I've been experimenting with more. I started I recently started a um YouTube channel and I've I've started singing um while in drag. It's something that I for a very long time when I got out of grad school, um I kind of took up drag as my like second choice of like, well, if I am too chicken to do opera, I guess I'll start drag. Um <laughs> and so I just started lip syncing and I let it be that crutch for I have a lot of stage fright issues and a lot of issues related to um, worrying that I'm not going to be well enough memorized. And so I start forgetting words because I'm worrying about forgetting words and things like that. And it's like, well, if I'm lip syncing, I never have to worry about that. Um, and that's something that this pandemic has given me time to do is to step back and say, well, this is an instrument that I have. This is something I love doing. It doesn't matter what I look like while I'm doing it. But what I look like can even give me permission to do that because if I'm already quote unquote making a fool out of myself by what I'm what I'm looking like, or or not or not dressing in a way that society currently would expect me to dress, I'm already skewing those norms. Then I can do whatever the heck I want to because people are going to just accept that because I've already broken their expectations. Absolutely. Um, you know, I did the the four villains in Hoffman, and mm -hmm. I did three of them presenting female. So I love that. You know, why not? I did uh, Love of Three Oranges, um, and there's the cook in there who is ace. And, mm -hmm. you know, she's usually, you know, a little, a little off. Um, but I actually, I didn't get hired to play the cook. I got hired to play uh, the magician. Mm. And it was, I don't know, it's, there are opportunities in there to, to change genders of characters and have it not really affect the story mm -hmm. and so i'm not saying that like oh you should do that but um <laughs> but it's but it's but it's possible you mm -hmm. know and there's and there's no reason why you couldn't be in drag and sing winterize i don't know mm -hmm. um yeah, you, you could do a one-woman show and and sing baritone the entire time. And well, and one of the things that I that I struggled with a lot in grad school was I loved singing both modern music that was being written in the twentieth century because I've I've found that a lot of people don't realize that operas are still being written, that classical music is still being written. Um, but I also Absolutely. specialized in singing a lot of women composers because they're often overlooked because they're just not in people's catalogs for obvious reasons to the world. Um, <laughs> and but then as I dug into it and I started asking my teacher if I could sing some of this music, she was like, oh, no, that's a women woman composer. Only women sing women composers. It's like why 
I don't like that. <laughs> I want to sing these songs. I want to sing these. And so I've always That's dreamed. That's not of, even right. <laughs> I've always <laughs> dreamed of getting into drag and being like, you know what? Cool. We're going to do it this way. And it's going to be great. <laughs> uh, Absolutely. And, you know, if you're not singing with an orchestra, um, it doesn't really matter what key you do it in or what mm-hmm. octave you do it in. Like, just do it. Just make art. When music, throughout history, music has always had a, a huge um, queer component in terms of there are so many queer composers out there who have talked extensively about how their queerness informs their compositions and informs how they write and why they write. Um, and that isn't really discussed in schools. And it's it's like every once in a while you'll get the like, oh yeah, Leonard Bernstein and Aaron Copeland were gay. Um, but that's as far as we'll talk about it. It's like, so you won't talk about like Bernstein's letters and, and journals about why he wrote certain things because he was gay. <laughs> Yeah. It's just, it's, uh, it's so exciting to me that we're finally in a world where we can push people past their preconceived notions and past the shallow level that we're educated in schools currently to really dive into, okay, but why did Ricard Strauss make this character of Mezzo. Why did Ethel Smythe write an opera where the women were intelligent and the men were stupid? Why why are all these things written this way? And the, the world is starting to become receptive to those ideas. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a lot of there's a lot of really great subversive things that even Mozart did, mm-hmm. but we just sort of take them as, oh yeah, this is Mozart. This is how it goes. It's mm-hmm. like yeah, but like, like Marriage of Figaro, there's so much wonderful stuff in there, mm. and it's and people just do it this way because that's how you do it. Yeah, but it's like no, no, no. You, this is this this moment is really interesting because uh, it's actually putting into question this thing and this thing that they couldn't actually talk about publicly. Mm. And I did a paper on uh, Verdi and censorship mm. when I was in grad school, and. He had a big problem with censors. Oh, yeah. And and there were there were some pieces where he was like, all right, I don't even care. Just change the words. And then there were some where he was like, all right, I'm not changing this. I'm putting it in a vault because I like this and I'm not going to let you mess with it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think we sort of, we really lose his, historical context in opera. Like mm-hmm. why something was done a certain way. What was allowed, what wasn't allowed. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. And now we're in we're in a place where we can pose those questions and we can bring back up um the relationship of of the censorship with the the art that it was trying to squelch and why it was trying to to shove it to the side and have those conversations about well what if we had these characters who weren't part of the traditional binary or what if we actually allow these characters Maybe to they never show were. yeah exactly <laughs> no really and when we're talking about pants rolls like you you think that you think that the composer didn't think about the fact oh, that yeah <laughs> there might be two women making out like 
Well, no, my my first opera I ever saw, I was I think twelve or thirteen, and it was De Rosencavalier, and the mm-hmm. whole opera opens with a scene of, as far as I knew, two women in bed, and I was just sitting there like, oh, okay, oh. like all these blue hairs. <laughs> like, you don't have a problem with this? Sitting between my mom and my dad, like. <laughs> Am I supposed to be enjoying like, this? Am I supposed to think it's... Ca- where's what? my trapper keeper? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... Yeah, it, because it's... It, is it... Is it... Is it queer? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But, but why are why are they accepting it? Oh, well, it's it's because that's how opera is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Women, you know, they, <laughs> they play boys sometimes. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. But you see them kissing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's fine because because she's actually a boy. Okay, cool, great. Like that's super easy for you, but a trans person, like, right? No idea. No idea how to handle that. <laughs> and it's yeah, honestly, it's, it's the easiest it's way. The easiest. <laughs> it's it's the easiest example that you can give to someone who grew up with that art form is to to explain it may look like a man is becoming a woman but really it's like this pants roll where she's been a woman the whole time she's just pre- presenting as a man for your benefit <laughs> yeah i mean i i love to just take the characters as they are but mm-hmm. yeah if we're if we're looking at it and we're like questioning the norms of opera mm-hmm. and like okay well you this this has your brain does not even skip a beat here, but over here, this is this is giving you trouble. And I don't know. I, I think the I think the easiest way to to describe transness to a person is to say, okay, well, uh, are you right-handed or left-handed? And you know, it's just like, well, what about what about the other hand? Well, no, it doesn't feel right. Like in the case of my mom. It's like, well, when I was in school, they made me, they made me write with my right hand. And she's like, when I got older, I just wrote with my left hand because I knew that that was right. It's like, mm-hmm. There you yeah, go. That, <laughs> that, that right Thank you there. for making my point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I'm gonna, I, I, I thought, I thought drag was gonna come up sooner, but. Um, <laughs> When I was, when I was, I, I'm just going to tell the story. So yes, no please do, please do. Um, when I was, when I was growing up, um, you know, I, I, I knew there was, I knew that, you know, uh, when the boys and the girls were separated, when they put me over on one side, I was like, no, this is not my side. This isn't mm. right. Um, but the first time that I, that I started seeing a window of, of hope, was RuPaul was on Oprah, mm. like daytime TV. And um, this is like late 80s, probably. And all I knew is that there was this beautiful woman on TV who was raised as a boy. Mm-hmm. And like all of the, ex- because I was young, the, all of the extra stuff just sort of like melted away. And the only thing that I saw was, here's a beautiful woman who, th- there's there's little pictures uh, of this person as a boy. Mm. 
And so this little boy grew up into this beautiful woman. And that's like the extent of it that I knew. And, you know, recently, like in the last five years, um, I, I, I wish he didn't need to make certain comments. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But, but, you know, that, that was something that stuck with me for, Mm -hmm. I don't know, at least probably a decade before I started really learning about medical terminology and uh, avenues of, of, um, of medical help, basically. Mm -hmm. By the time I went to college, I, I knew I had the words. I knew, I knew all about this stuff. But um, yeah, when I was when I was growing up, RuPaul sort of gave me hope that maybe one day, you know, I don't know how, I don't know the specifics, but mm-hmm. basically, you can go from here to here. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I I don't know. I I wish RuPaul would really think rethink. Um, advocacy of 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 queer people yeah and because because you know we're not in the in the 80s gender fuck rupaul like (laughs) rupaul rupaul is mainstream Mm -hmm. sorry rupaul you're it you're mainstream (laughs) you made it congratulations you're you're you you made yourself basic (laughs) sorry about it yeah it's uh, it's that's something that I mean so I didn't I wasn't exposed to anything queer really as far as I knew in my my mentality of things until I mean I had seen Mrs. Doubtfire and that was about as far as it went and then in college, I watched Rocky Horror Picture Show and I saw To Wong Fu and I started seeing these people yes. who were like, I don't care what you think. I'm just going to wear things that make me feel good and I'm just going to be who I am. And that's when the, the kind of the, the wheels started turning and it wasn't until I had an ex who was like, you know, you'd be really good at drag that I was like, <laughs> I wonder if I should try drag. <laughs> you know, that, just... that, that feeling, that, that sort of, the, the sort of fuck you mm-hmm. in, your, in your personality, um, not your personality, but <laughs> one's personality, um, really, can, really can be powerful. Mm-hmm. And so for me, when, when I came out, um, you know, I had already... I had already been an adult for a while mm-hmm. and you know, you can't take away my allowance. So you know what? I don't care what you think. <laughs> this is yeah. me. And you know, and I came out to my mom and she's like, yeah, but women make 70, 71 cents per dollar or something. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, thank you for that's worrying not... about my finances and I'm glad that's <laughs> like... the first place your brain went. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's weird. Uh, but but basically I said I said this is me. Mm-hmm. Any sort of like little corrections that were taking place when I was growing up. No, you can't do that anymore. This is me. You can't change my mind. There's no negotiating. There's the door. 
Mm-hmm. And I did that with my family. I did that with my friends, and I did that with my work. Mm-hmm. I did that with I did that with everybody, mm-hmm. and the people who stuck around, which was all of them that I could see. Um, you know, I I just did it with a hundred percent, and said, "This is me. If you don't like it, there's the door. That's it." yeah that's it no compromising no anything and uh and and begging for your identity and and pleading with people is you just lose power Mm. so you come out you say who you are what you do whatever whether whether it's being trans or doing drag or anything if you just come out unapologetically or just singing opera or playing an instrument or Mm -hmm. you know selling a piano i don't know if you just go do things unapologetically you're gonna have your best results Mm -hmm. because the people who are with you are going to be with you and the people who aren't aren't but if you try and appease the people who you think might not be with you then the people who like you for who you are they don't know who you are so -hmm. if you just always show who you are then people can make an informed decision yeah absolutely that's it took me it took me a while to get there i mean i came out when i was 23 23 i think i don't know it all kind of happened it it happened over a period of like okay i'll tell this one friend okay said it out loud for the first time now i can tell like two other people see how they take it and then it kind of grew from there until one day i finally was just like out with friends at a bar and was like oh yeah i'm gay and they were like you're finally gonna say it. <laughs> Congratulations! Glad you finally said it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> but it, you have to. You you eventually you get to this point where you're just like, if if I'm going to spend my time appeasing people, that I'm never going to allow myself to truly be happy because I'm always going to be worried about what those people are thinking and whether or not they're going to accept me. And so if you just put yourself out there as you are, they can make that decision before they're even in your life. (laughs) Absolutely. And it's so much healthier, so much healthier. Yeah. I mean, it it can be when you're first coming out or saying Mm -hmm. who you are, whatever. Um, it can be jarring but it's important for it to just be matter of fact because Mm -hmm. any sort of negotiation is just sets up the relationship poorly yeah oh absolutely it's about effective and concise communication not about well maybe if i start subtly hinting at things i'll eventually get the point (laughs) yeah i think i think my mom thought that I was that I was gay and Mm -hmm. so I was I was born in 1980 and I remember I remember listening to the radio like 88 89 something like that and them talking about Magic Johnson on Mm. on the radio maybe that's the maybe that's the wrong timeline anyway whenever (laughs) whenever Magic Johnson um when and they were talking about there was just like so much scare tactics Mm. going on. And I think my mom thought that, I think my mom maybe thought that I was gay. And 
so she she didn't have vocabulary for trans i don't think very many people did at all mm. in the late 80s yeah and um she would always say you know i'll i'll love you no matter what um but it's a really hard it's a really hard life it's mm-hmm. <laughs> like what does that mean <laughs> and so the the thing was is um I don't know. I just needed like I'll always love you no matter what. That's like period. That's that yeah. that's enough. That's fine. If 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 you're a parent just just do that. Yeah. Um because especially with such a vague <laughs> such a vague <laughs> warning it's right. not really helping anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, in, in the 80s and 90s were were a tough time anyway for for the queer community just because there were yes. there were so many questions so it almost had to be vague because you didn't even know what you were warning people about you didn't even know why you were scared you were just kind of scared well i mean she knew about aids and and <laughs> she was scared of she was probably scared of mm. getting it i'm i'm guessing that's what that was about yeah but yeah but here you are now (laughs) yeah i mean you know you you have to do some some inward searching and 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 see what makes sense to you you know i was never really attracted to boys um i like boys i can appreciate boys but like (laughs) you know um i've always liked girls so yeah, that's that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> Don't have no, to deal I mean, with it's... boys. <laughs> uh, no, I mean i I have some I have some friends who are boys. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, but but who you who you love and who you are those are those are two different things. And um, I'm very thankful that our community includes includes both because i think the the bigger our community is and the stronger it it is um and i i i wish i wish that even beyond that that um people with common interest could uh could show that and appreciate that and and vote for our common interests um the the current u.s political system is frustrating mm-hmm. so we'll we'll see what happens we we but, will we're we we're out of we're almost we're out of December, that like little so... ditch we just another month and we can start pushing a little harder <laughs> yeah well you know the thing is is it, we're already in a difficult i'm I mean, I'm in Germany, so it's a little bit different. But, but you know, I'm a freelance artist. I lost eighty percent of my income. I'm also feeling the hurt. Just mm-hmm. because I'm in Europe does not mean that I am not feeling it. I definitely am. And specifically for the U.S., um, there's going to need to be some policy stuff um, until this ends. Yeah, because you know if if the if the entire pandemic is like totally done wrapped up in a bow by april um that's a hundred dollars a month which is nothing yeah that people have been 
supported with. Yep. There are so many businesses that, you know, small businesses that, that tried. And, and one of the things that's happening here, which I think is also happening there, is there, there are restaurants that were supposed to be closed, right? And then they said, okay, well, you can open, but you can only be whatever percent capacity. Also, you have to put in all these plexiglass things and extra measures. And so they were like, you know, we're just happy to be open. We'll, 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 we'll do those measures. We'll serve less people. We'll, we never did takeout before even, but we'll figure it out. We'll figure out delivery. We'll, we'll figure out all this stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And they really tried to make it work. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, no, you have to be closed again. Mm-hmm. like yeah even this like little 20 percent or 40 percent or whatever it was yeah. you can't even have that so there's gonna have to be some really big picture thinking yeah um, coming out of this to see what what the landscape especially of the the the, the u.s economy is going to be after this so we'll we'll see um i would love to i would love to see some sort of sweeping policy where um creatives could you know have some support and then other people who have been displaced with jobs can fill them with more traditional jobs yeah Um, absolutely and some more protections for queer people things that have been slowly stripped away the last four years that are desperately in need of replacing (laughs) I mean, look, if if executive orders, if that's been the norm, then great. Let's let's do that. Let's just yeah, do that. Right? And then you know, and then and then if it works for people, then people just keep voting for that. Yep. Like like if 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 you're looking to get reelected, then, you know, make some make, make some great executive order policy changes and people will keep voting for you. Yeah. Um, I mean, I that's one of the reasons why why uh dude won in 2016 is because people were like okay well before that wasn't working for me so uh let's try this yep people this is, will this try is something different this is different this is absolutely different <laughs> maybe it will do something guess what it didn't so no yeah. i mean really yeah. though if it was like if if he whatever your favorite policy is like there was mm-hmm. a better chance of that happening with him than than what has happened before Mm -hmm. you know i was really sad because there were cases like uh gavin grimm and other stuff that were like almost a done deal if Mm -hmm. hillary would have won yeah and particularly for trans people it was like it was like there were so many things being set up that it was like oh we can like finally not worry about this because as soon as um as soon as laverne cox was on the on the cover of time was it May 2014? Yeah. Like the the media presence of trans people just got super elevated. Yeah. And then there was the the thing in Houston, um, the the Hero Act or something like that, and it just like amped up the hate against trans people. Yeah. And so like coming into the 2016 election it was like okay great she's gonna go there and then it's gonna be fine and all these big court cases are gonna happen and then the all the equal rights stuff will pass and it'll be fine and uh i think that that was that was one of the hardest things is that 
it, there was like the super slow moving progress, but definitely progress. And there were a bunch of things that were supposed to happen in the last four years to solidify that progress. And then just like the entire foundation of all that was shook. Yep. It's going to be, it's going to be a tough uphill battle, even with someone who tends to align more with the left-hand side of things in office. It's still going to be a, a hard battle. And I don't, and I hope that people understand that this isn't just a, like the bandaid that fixes everything. Like it's it's yeah, it's just the, the, whole, when, the when first they go step. Low, we go high, <laughs> the, the whole thing when they go low, we go high. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, yeah, be a good winner. Mm-hmm. But if you're losing, I you can't just be nice. Yeah. Sorry, you can't just roll over because yeah. they're throwing out the rule book and and you can't just play nice. It mm-hmm. doesn't work. So fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of a lot of those things have been watered down in recent years. Like we've forgotten about the sittings. We've we've taken Stonewall and turned it into just a like a oh there was just a fight one night and now we have pride and people have kind of forgotten the actual intentions behind things and the emotions and the reasons behind all of these major steps forward that, that happened. Um, And they think that now a, a lot of people who are even younger than me are just think that it's, it shouldn't be an issue anymore. Like we, we were thriving during the Obama time. So it must just be, this must be what it's always been like. Um, and it's, it's hard to show people that need for that fight and that need for that, that being angry is a good emotion. It's an emotion. It's, it's like every other emotion. It's not good or bad. It's, it's a valid emotion. It's okay to be angry and it's okay to let that drive you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's what you do with it, but Mm -hmm. it's okay to feel any emotion that you feel. Yeah. It's just the action that you take from that impulse, you know, Mm -hmm. what is that? What is that? Make sure that it's productive. Yeah. But yeah, you can feel angry. Something happens and you feel a certain way. That's how you feel. Mm-hmm. It doesn't it doesn't give you carte blanche to like <laughs> throw a punch. You know. Yeah. Um yeah, you got you have to channel it. But but the whole thing about like when they go low, we go high. <laughs> like when they go low and they win, we lose proudly. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. Not when it's lives on the line. And it is. Yeah. It's lives on the line. Mm-hmm. It's lives on the line. The, I mean, I'm, I'm curious. Like, okay, well, if, if nobody puts up a fight, like, when is it okay enough for you? Mm-hmm. Like, where is, where, where is the end game of that? Yeah. Where is the end game of the, the, the conservative farthest right point? Like, which dystopian novel are we talking about? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Are we talking about Handmaid's Tale? Yeah. Or are we talking the giver? I, are we talking like what 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 all has to be taken away before you're happy? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. You know, things things change and Europe 
Europe is is the West, mm-hmm. right? And the U.S. for a long time has dictated what what happens in society. Mm-hmm. Um, but Europe is going, hey, what you doing over there? <laughs> weird. Um, and and I think Europe has realized that they don't they don't need they don't specifically need the states. Yeah. Um. So we'll see, but but I think that I think that Biden wants to rejoin the rest of the world mm-hmm. um, and repair and some of those relationships. Yeah, yeah. Because the, the the thing is, is if you can fly from one side of the earth to the other side of the earth in a day, like the world is very very different than it was a hundred years ago, mm-hmm. and um the reality is that this pandemic yeah it's a one in a hundred year pandemic but the reality is that because we can fly from one side of the one side of the world to the other side of the world in a day um we need to rethink all of that but in order to do that we have to have uh coordination between countries yeah and if, if you just sort of go dark you know, and and are not reliable, then mm-hmm. that doesn't that doesn't work in in two thousand twenty. Yeah, or if you're like the UK and are like, cool, we see that, but uh, I think we're gonna do our own thing for a while. <laughs> like it was yeah, I mean, the wrong like, time for that to happen too. <laughs> yeah, and 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 also, um, I don't know, you know, Sweden did did the. They, they tried it out. They're like, okay, herd immunity. That sounds interesting. Let's try it. Well, that 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 didn't work. Um, <laughs> but I'm I'm hoping that there will be this sort of meeting of countries to decide if something like this happens, and it's not in the next hundred years. If it's in the next ten years, how do we handle this? Mm-hmm. You know, because it needs to be better than this. Yeah. And. Yeah, I I was in the I was in an airport and sorry, this is this is this is just going on and you can stop me whenever. No, 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 this is great. Um I was in Frankfurt Airport on January 21st, I think. Mm-hmm. And I looked up at the screen and it said, "Oh, there's a new uh there's a new super virus and um the incubation period is 14 days." And so I'm sitting there, ready to get on the plane, thinking, huh, I'm supposed to go do do two concerts in the States. Am I going to make it back to Germany? Mm-hmm. Because this is going to be bad. I, I knew that day. I was like, 14-day mm-hmm. incubation period. Yeah, there's there's no, you can't contain that. Yeah. You just, you can't. Before you start showing symptoms... Before you start showing symptoms and you're contagious during that time. Yeah. Maybe I watched too much like <laughs> Walking Dead and all of those movies. But I was like, Or maybe oh, no, you watched not. just the right amount. <laughs> like maybe there's a reason those things were a trend right when they were. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I made it I I made it back and I was just thinking, like, why aren't the airports closed yet? Mm-hmm. Like, and the airports weren't closed 
it, it took like after I was like, oh, we're screwed. It was still seven weeks. It was still yeah. seven weeks until the majority of the world shut down, like mid March. Yeah. And you know, I don't I don't have a science degree. <laughs> I have an arts degree. <laughs> But that arts degree taught you to think. That's to what think it did. think creatively. Yep. And to think outside the box and to expect multiple possibilities. Yeah, I don't know. It, it needs to be, to be rethought. But I, I think we're going to see a huge... There's going to be a huge change coming out of this. Okay, great. Everybody's got the, the vaccine and stuff. Okay, now we can rebuild. Like... It's it's all going to be different. Everything's going to be yeah. different. Just you know, I took a I took a plane in um, August of uh, 2011, and then I took a plane in August of uh, or in in August 2001, and then in mm -hmm. August 2002. Yeah, and it was completely different. different. I was flying from I was flying from the West Coast, the East Coast, same sort of thing, mm -hmm. but it was completely different, and it's never changed. I, or yeah. it's it's never gone back to how it was before and never. I, I think that, i think that there's so many things that are not going to go back to how they were before yeah and and it's it's going to take creative people um whether it's a creative endeavor it's going to take creative people to rethink how economies will be rebuilt mm -hmm. um and and i hope i i hope that i i, I hope that people try to bring creative people to the table yeah. um, for real change because that's what's going to need to happen. Yeah, completely. Um, I think, I think that's a good place to end it because I think that's a really good sentiment to leave with people. Um, we can cut out all the no, yeah, cut out the first half completely. It's just the second half. Um, <laughs> uh, do you have anything you'd like to plug or where people can find you online? Oh, go watch Coffee Gin Murder. I second that. <laughs> if you like it, like it. If you dislike it, like click it twice just to make sure it sticks. <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so very much. And good luck with your upcoming rehearsals. Break so many thank legs. You, I hope. <laughs> I will try to break all of the legs. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I look forward to, to hearing singing coming from you very soon. Yeah, see you around. And that was my conversation with Lucia Lucas. I really hope you enjoyed that and learned from it and took something away from uh, getting to talk to someone in a field that many people aren't really familiar with. And it was so fun for me to get to talk about opera again and talk about singing and talk about drag in ways that I haven't since since college. Um, opera really is a dying art, and it, it makes me sad to say that. Um, but because of the price and because of all these things, it, it's become fairly inaccessible. But I urge you urge you, urge you, urge you to go onto YouTube and just search for operas. There are so many full operas on YouTube, fully staged productions, uh, filmed productions, so many. Um, 
and again, I can I can link some of those on my Instagram so you are aware of those as well. Um, but use this chance where we're all kind of stuck indoors to uh, educate yourself and enjoy just some beautiful art and beautiful music and incredible talent. Um, the internet is constantly surprising me with how available so much culture is and so much art is and I know I'm terrible at educating myself a lot of times and I'm terrible at remembering that I have this wealth of knowledge and wealth of culture available to me at all times and I I throw that away I gamble it away all the time so learn from me and go watch an opera or two uh, on YouTube. If you need um, some places to start, I say start with a comedy, start with some Mozart. Um, the Magic Flute is a great one to start with, or Barbara Seville by Rossini is another really fun light opera. Don't start with a heavy opera. Don't start with something that's five hours long. It's not worth it to start there. You will just hate opera all the more. If you really need uh, to back up and be like, okay, what the heck even is opera? Go look up Bugs Bunny opera episodes because that's how I got started. Uh, anyway, um, thank you for tuning in. Please subscribe to us on Instagram. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Please subscribe to us on uh, iTunes and Spotify and Google Podcasts and everything that everywhere that you find this podcast. Um and when you listen, please download, because it's the downloads that gets us on the lists, and those lists help us reach more people. Um, thank you again for listening, and we will see you all next time. Bye. Yeah, Buzz. Thank you for listening to Yeah, Buzz with Vivian Gabor. Tune in next week, same place, same time.